Thank you, Carl. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, would you open our hearts and our minds to feed on your word this morning. May it uh, help us to have a clearer grasp of what it means to be forgiven through this once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. For this we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. According to that reading, the human race is divided into two groups. Not good or bad, rich or poor, or even vaccinated or not yet vaccinated, but those who are forgiven and those who are not. Those who are ready to meet their maker and those who are not. Many of us will be able to say very clearly which category we are in, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have found forgiveness for the wrong things we have done in our lives. We are at peace with God. Or, more importantly, our Heavenly Father is at peace with us. Others of us are unsure. We wouldn't yet call ourselves a follower of Christ. But still others wonder whether being forgiven really matters. And we certainly live as though it doesn't matter. Wherever you are spiritually, keep listening. I hope you'll find this passage this morning really helpful to you, a real encouragement and a real clarifying passage. But before we dive in, let's take a moment to recap where we are in our journey through this great letter to the Hebrews. Right at the beginning, we set ourselves the task of fixing our eyes on Jesus, chapter 12, verse 1. While everything else around us is so uncertain at the moment, whether the pandemic um, is giving us cause to be fearful for our health or our livelihoods, to fix our hopes on the person of Jesus Christ who remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we've seen that, like a picture gallery, Hebrews takes us from portrait to portrait, highlighting different hats, if you like, that Jesus wears. We've seen that Jesus is the Son of God who reigns in glory, our brother who stands by our side, helping us face temptations, our apostle who came to build God's family here on earth. We've seen that he's our great high priest, our eternal priest, who in contrast to the mortal high priest of Israel, offers a permanent connection with heaven above. And we've seen how he acts as a mediator between us and God, reconciling us to our Heavenly Father. Like a great gallery, there's always more to take in with every visit that we make to this letter. And for those tempted to drift away from Christian faith, Hebrews is written to refocus our eyes back on exactly who Jesus is. And while we haven't got our usual routines of coming to church Sunday by Sunday, that's just the focus we need to keep us on track while we're apart. And this morning, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus again, and we're going to see how he secures our forgiveness through this once-for-all sacrifice that he makes for us on the cross. And to help us think that through, I've got three questions for you. And if you've got a piece of paper to hand, why don't write these questions down and reflect on them later? The first question is this. How can I experience forgiveness? How can I experience forgiveness? forgiveness. When I've done something wrong, in the eyes of God, check out the Ten Commandments if you want a list of what that might include. How can I restore my relationship with my Creator? 
the people to whom Hebrews is written, Jewish background believers, had grown up with one answer to that question. Through priests carrying out sacrifices on your behalf as laid down in the law of Moses, which you'll find in the first five books of the Bible. But Hebrews says that this was just the shadow of the realities to come. Pointers to what Jesus has now achieved and the far greater power of the cross. So let's see how he explains both the Old Testament system and the difference that Jesus makes. Have a look at chapter 10, verse 1, where we read that the same sacrifices were repeated endlessly year after year, but they were never able to make perfect those who drew near to worship. Why? Because, if you look at verse 4, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he makes the same sacrifices. But they can never take away sins, verse 11. So a bull or a goat could never take upon themselves, knowingly and willingly, the stain and debt of our moral sins. They lacked the capacity to do so. How can I experience forgiveness? Not through the sacrificial system these Jewish background believers had grown up with. Yes, the law required them to be done, but all these sacrifices repeated year after year were intentionally limited in scope, pointing forward to what was to come that would be able to take away their sins and ensure their forgiveness and peace with God. And that's the reality that Jesus came to bring into the world. So look at the contrast. Instead of animal sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, this priest, Jesus, verse 12, offered himself for all time. One sacrifice for sins, after which he sat down at the right hand of God. By one sacrifice, verse 14, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's what happens when we're forgiven. We're made holy in God's sight. The weight of sins, the the guilt that we feel, is removed. God remembers it no more. That's the difference that Jesus makes. Through this single sacrificial death, he willingly takes upon himself the weight of all our sins. He does what no animal could do. He feels the weight of these human wrongs personally. He offers his righteous life in exchange. What a gift he gives us. It might help just to look at the contrast between Jesus and what came before in a little table, between shadow and reality. Shadow, the Old Testament system, had many sacrifices. Reality, just one sacrifice. Shadow, sacrifices happening year after year. Reality, once for all. Shadow brought no forgiveness. Reality, forgiveness is achieved. Shadow, it was imperfect, incomplete, but now we have a perfect, complete system by which we can be forgiven. Before, um, that's a bit like mobile phones. Now, um, I brought mine with me. It's here somewhere. Uh, Here it is, my mobile phone. And uh, before mobile phones, we had uh, telephones, uh, landlines. I haven't brought that with me. And uh, as well as uh, that, we'd have um, writing paper. Here's some writing paper. And we'd have... um, Uh, books, a library of books, and we'd have notebooks, and we'd have diaries, which you have to replace every year, 
and uh, more books as, as well. All these things are now, that's all available on your one mobile phone. How can I experience forgiveness? By asking Jesus to apply, apply his once-for-all sacrifice to our sins by putting our trust in his words. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive out. Which brings us to our second question. How can I be sure that Jesus is all that I need? How can I be sure that Jesus is all that I need? After all these years of relying on the Jewish sacrificial system, these young Christians found it hard to let go. What's interesting here is where the author of Hebrews takes his readers to prove to them that they can trust what he's saying, that Jesus is all that they now need. He takes them back to their Old Testament scriptures and to two passages in particular, to Psalm 40 and to Jeremiah 31. Let's take a quick look at, it, at both. Psalm 40 first. Psalm 40, and you can check this later, says it's of David, that it's about him or it's been written by him. And that's important because there's a strong connection between David and Jesus in the Bible. They're both Christ figures, both God-appointed and anointed kings, born a thousand years apart. So much so that this connection between that the spirit of Christ was seen at work in what David wrote. So the writer of Hebrews sees Jesus fulfilling the words of David as if they were his own. In fact, it's if he himself had spoken them. Where David writes, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. This is the Messiah speaking about his death, providing an alternative to the sacrifices and offerings carried out in the temple. And where David writes, here I am, I have come to do your will, my God. This is again Jesus willingly offering his life in obedience to his father's will in order to provide a way for sinful human beings like you and me to be forgiven. So the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look, I'm not telling you anything new here. It's all there in your scriptures. And the second passage does the same sort of thing. Uh, it refers to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. And here the Holy Spirit, working through the prophet Jeremiah, reveals plans for a new covenant relationship between the Lord and his people. A new way of doing things. Let's read it again. You'll find it in verse 16. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. So forgiveness will be based not on whether or not you're carrying out all the sacrifices set out in the law of Moses, but on what is going on in your heart. In this new covenant relationship, the problem of unforgiven sin would have been dealt with in a different way, with a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And that's why Jesus, when he breaks bread and wine at the Last Supper, says this is a new covenant. This is the covenant in my blood. And Hebrews is saying here, look, I'm not telling you anything new. It's all there in the scriptures. God pointing to a new way of doing things. So don't take my word for it. Take Christ's. Take the Holy Spirit's. It's a bit like going into uh, the chemist for some tablet to deal with indigestion. And you ask the pharmacist, well, it, will it work? Well, they say, read what it says on the packet. What does it promise to do? And that's what Hebrews is saying. What does God promise 
to do here? How can I be sure the cross of Christ is all I need to be forgiven? Well, what does God say? If this is what the good Lord has promised in his word, then trust his word. Act upon it. You can be sure you can trust what God says. And isn't that great, great news? Because it's such a joy to be able to join those who are forgiven. If you've yet to add your name to that list, why not take the time to do that today? You could simply pray the Lord's Prayer and focus in on that line that says, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And say, Lord, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. As I was really hard, we, we bear the burdens of, of those who've hurt us and, and we need to let them go as we ask for God to forgive us all the things that we have done. And what really matters is what's going on in our heart. Can I be sure that's really enough just to trust in what God has promised me? Yes, we can, says Hebrews. Trust what Christ has spoken. Trust what the Holy Spirit has spoken. Trust what they say, and you will find forgiveness. But you might be saying, well, I already know I'm forgiven. What have you got to say to me this morning? Well, that brings us to our third and final question, and it's this. How do I live as one who is forgiven? Have a look at chapter 10, verse 18, the final verse of our passage. Where sins have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. And this brings us to the heart of Hebrews, the letter, really the crunch point for its first readers. But these first Jewish background believers were finding it really hard to let go of all that they'd grown up with. The traditions, the ceremonies, the annual cycle of sacrifices, the synagogue life. At first, they had embraced the cross of Christ and just thought, this is wonderful. But over time, the pull of that culture that they'd grown up with had grown stronger and stronger upon them, and they were drifting away. The radical break with what had come before would become more and more clear to them. And now they'd missed the temple and the high priest and the offerings and and all of that. All that was... um, uh, and yet for some, it was a, they knew it was over in Christ, and yet for some, their response to being set free from all that religion was to hanker after it and to even start to go back to it. So I have a confession to make. While I have a mobile phone, I much prefer if you call me on the landline. I still love a diary, a paper diary. I still use my notebook I still love reading paper books and reading it on the Kindle. I still like to write a letter and a postcard. And I still prefer my Bible, my paper Bible. And I know the new has come, the new technology is there, but I still am drawn to the old ways of doing things. I bet some of you are probably the same. But we feel, don't we, that this is just what's going on for the Hebrews. This is just what's going on for the Hebrews. It's still something we're drawn to, old technologies. But actually, what Jesus brings us here is something new. So I was confessing that, that um, uh, even though I have a mobile phone, I enjoy the old technologies. And that's what's going on here with the readers in this letter. The new has come. But they haven't let it go in their hearts of the old. They're not living as they who are forgiven. And 
in drawing together this sermon, I want to sort of point us there. Are we living as forgiven people? I've got three things for you to take away. First, by making sure that we get rid of any idea that there are still sacrifices for sin that we can make. Which means, for example, when we come to celebrating communion again, we remind ourselves that we're not coming to an altar where a priest makes a sacrifice. That was one of the great Reformation rediscoveries. And why in the Book of Common Prayer and the latest Church of England prayer book, Common Worship, you won't find any reference to an altar in our communion services. Instead of an altar in our churches, we have a communion table where a minister, not a priest, celebrates for Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice that it's still effective and powerful today. So actually, living as forgiven people affects the way we, we, we worship together and what we do when we worship. The second thing is this. There are some sacrifices that we can still make. Not sacrifices for sin, but there are some other sacrifices that Hebrews goes on to talk about later on in chapter 13 and verse 15. Through Jesus, we read, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. We are not to offer God anything that seeks to cover over our sins. We've seen that, but there are still things we can do. We can say thank you to God for this once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. And yes, there is something we can do in our homes to some extent, but notice how it says that we're to openly profess his name. And that's something that we need to do, therefore, in front of others. And that's one of the things that we can't do online. We have to be back together to do. And that's why we long to get back together in person. We can sing God's praises and be together so that we can praise his name. If I want to tell you how great a cricketer Joe Root is, that double century against India recently was amazing, you'll never know it if I don't tell you. You need to hear me say, that's what I think. And that's why when we get back in church together soon, I hope we will be able to do that soon, we'll think, oh, it's going to be feel a real sacrifice to get dressed and get up and to get in the car at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock and but it will it shows that we're living as forgiven people openly praising the name of god the father the son and the holy spirit for this free gift of forgiveness and the third thing i want to take away is there's another sacrifice that we can make have a look at uh, chapter 13 and verse 16 which says this do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices god is pleased To live as forgiven people is to be set free from worrying about ourselves, to then be free to care for others. Acts of kindness and sharing what we have been given with others, it doesn't earn our salvation. But when forgiven people live like this, we're told that God is pleased. It delights his heart. So Lent began this week, and usually Lent is cast in terms of giving something up of sacrificing one of life's pleasures in order to, for a spiritual discipline. But Hebrews encourages us here to take things on, to sacrifice our time, our treasure, and our talents for the building up of God's church and the benefit of others around us. 
That's how we should live, as a forgiven son and daughter of the living God. So then, there are two sorts of people in the world today. In the eyes of God, there are those who are forgiven and those who are not. Which group are you in? Which group would you like to be in? If this morning you can say, yes, I trust in Christ, in the death he died for me, then you are forgiven, you're accepted by God, and he remembers your sins no more, and you can rejoice in that. And if you're not sure, why not make sure today by saying the Lord's Prayer with me, which I'm going to pray together, and saying those words, Lord, forgive us our sins, and just use the word, Lord, forgive me my sins. If you ask for forgiveness, he will not refuse you. So let's finish by saying the Lord's Prayer together now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.